Welcome to the EPOS European Pediatric Orthopedic Society podcast. It's a panel discussion of what the EPOS website committee regard as the most interesting topics within our specialty. Please note the views are our own and not those of the EPOS board, committees or membership. Hello everybody. Welcome to the third EPOS podcast. I am Ahmad Saeed Ali, Associate Professor of Pediatric Orthopedic Surgery and Limb Reconstruction in Ain Shams University, Cairo, Egypt. We will talk about supracondral fracture humerus in pediatric. We choose four important titles. First one is the different methods of surgical intervention in supracondral fracture. The second one is the vascular insult associated with the supracondylar fracture like pink hand syndrome and the third is the rare pattern fracture which is called the metaphysial diaphysial fracture of the distal humerus and the last one is the post-operative complication like stiff elbow how to diagnose and deal with it is my pleasure to have respectable speakers Antonio Andriaco from Italy Federico Canavis from France Amr Abdelgawad from USA and Gamal Hosni from Egypt. Now we will start. Uh, and now I would like to welcome uh, Professor Dr. Antonio Andriaco, the past president of the EPOS and the president of Italian Pediatric Orthopedic Society. Uh, you are welcome, Antonio. Thank you. Thank you, you too, and to everybody. Thanks so much for your kind invitation. Okay. Uh, as you know, the supracondral fracture humerus uh, in pediatric involve more than half of all pediatric elbow fractures, with extension type involve more than 95%. We commonly see type 1 cartilage fracture with medial comminution, but overall alignment is good. Do you think it is better to do um, anatomical reduction in such a, um, a minimal displacement? Uh, or uh, uh, it will uh, the virus complication it will remodel by time and to conserve the child in above elbow slab. Okay, um, the, the real issue of this kind of fracture is to be aware about the possibility to have uh, uh, virus deviation in the in the future, even if the fracture is minimal or not displaced. Because when you, you can see or you can appreciate an X-ray, the, the comminution of the medial column, the, the parents should be aware about this possibility. On the other side, it's pretty quite difficult to, to try a reduction or to propose a reduction for a kind for this uh, very minimal or non-displacement of this fracture. So the only issue is uh, to be sure that the parents uh, can be uh, conscious about uh, the potential risk to develop a, a virus deviation in the future due to the even if the, there is a minimal uh, comminution of the medial column. But for the type 1, there is no real uh, uh, need to, to go to the OR or to, to perform a reduction. Mm -hmm. um, closed reduction of Gartland type 3. In yeah. it is largely depend on the direction of displacement of the distal fragment. Uh, like in extension type, either is medial displacement or lateral displacement. Uh, for junior doctor, uh, what is your preferred technique in closed reduction? So I usually prefer to be with a supine patient and then to set up the 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 OR and the patient like to be to ready to be to shift to then an open uh, um, an open reduction if we need but then we can after that everything is is fine and the sterile drops and whatever when we can start with a manual reduction and after that, I usually uh, prefer to, to fix the fracture uh, by pinning with two uh, lateral uh, K-wires. 
and sometimes for tree it depends which is the the stability of the of, of the fracture and uh, very exceptional in my experience is try to fix it even with a one medial uh, k-wire from the medial approach i mean Hmm. But uh, in the most of the cases, we, I, we don't need to 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 shift to the open reduction. But you have to consider some really unstable fracture and very difficult fracture to to reduce to maintain the reduction. Could be have uh, this kind of uh, open uh, open reduction too. Hmm. So you use the um, uh, in, uh, the image intensifier at the operating uh, table and uh, uh, make the reduction over the image intensifier by make attraction and then according to the displacement medial or lateral you make supination or pronation of the forearm so um, you use the classic technique of reduction by putting the forearm in supination flexion or pronation according to the direction of the displacement yeah yeah that's yeah. the that's correct so uh, we start the supine and try to uh, two or three minutes by milking in order to try to reduce the, this kind of uh, uh, impingement because sometimes the proximal fragment impingement with a brachialis. And after that, we, I, I started to flex, but not too much because the main risk in this kind of fracture is to transform an extension in a flexion fracture. So it's very trouble. I, 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 I happen at the in my experience, once time is worth really bad, and uh, that's a reason why I prefer to to have uh, a couple of reduction maneuver instead of uh, to have a too energetic, energetic, and to transform this kind of fracture in a flexion one, because you, otherwise you are going in a big trouble. And after that, uh, with a in, uh, imaging intensifier. To, to rotate it and not to, to rotate the elbow because the risk is to have a, a secondary displacement, especially if the fracture is not so um, stable. So I prefer to turn the, the X-ray imagination uh, machine in order to have a lateral view, a perfect lateral view, but without uh, to stress the elbow in, in, this, uh, in this way. And there is a huge debate about the time of intervention in these cases. Uh, for sure, if uh, there is a um, vascular problem with this type of fracture, it should be immediately. But uh, what about in children with intact pulse? Should it be immediately also uh, for fear of um, edema become more intense and make the reduction more difficult? Or, or it could be uh, wait for the next day at the morning. What do you think so, about the time and of course uh, this is a uh, this is uh, always uh, open uh, debates about uh, this uh, this issue i guess if uh, as you uh, as you had told if there is no any uh, nerve palsy impairment or vascular disease or, or problems in this way so you you can wait it depends at what our the child comes in, in the hospital and if the anesthesiologist and the OR is available to perform an immediate uh, reduction. Uh, if the, the usually, usually I mean the, the at risk uh, fascia of ours is between 10 p.m. Midnight or, mm. or later, because usually the, the child is going to have uh, injury uh, in the late afternoon. So maybe uh, they refer from the other hospital, comes to the our hospital around 8 p.m., 9 p.m. and so on. So if the, the OR is uh, already, uh, there are some, some other uh, surgeries, there is no reason uh, to to go to the in the heart of the night to 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. to perform this kind of of surgery because you can go uh, more uh, safer in the eight in the morning uh, eight and the, the first of the of the surgery in, in the morning. Otherwise, of course, you have to uh, to choose. But it depends. I I mean. Uh, uh, in our experience, in our institution, maybe if the uh, OR is available 
and there is no reason to to procrastinate this surgery and everything is fine and uh, or available and anesthesiologist too and the child is uh, without uh, any meal so usually uh, around 10 11 at least midnight we go directly to the war otherwise we postpone to the first in the morning mm -hmm. uh, you told me that you prefer to put uh, uh, most of the wires uh, in lateral direction two or three lateral pins and uh, less commonly you use the medial uh, key wire uh, do you think the uh, multiple lateral key wires uh, give the same stability rotational stability like the medial key wire uh, and the second one is the uh, multiple entry point from the lateral side uh, it may hurt the vices in this area or you don't see this complication about the rotational stability after multiple lateral wires and the physial injury in the lateral side. As literature told us, is the, the main, the, the most stable, uh, you know, configuration they wire is one medial and two lateral. But anyway, the most of our fracture are well uh, reduced and stabilized by three K wires from the lateral, uh, from the lateral entry. So you can avoid some injuries or iatrogenic problems due to the insertion of the medial K wires. But anyway, if if you have to to uh, to need if you need uh, much more stability, you can um, you can perform a very tiny uh, incision in order to spread the soft tissue and to be sure to insert the 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 K wires in the proper way, avoiding uh, the the nerve uh, ulnar nerve. On the other side, uh, I don't think um, uh, the, there are in, in many cases so many differences, but you have to choose every time. Uh, uh, Case by case, if you need or more more stability and to perform the the to to insert the the medial K wire. In my personal experience, I, I guess is around ten percent of this fracture need one pin from the medial side, and ninety percent may be pretty stable and good reduction. And the multiple um, injuries of the physis are not very I'm not very concerning about that because the virus deformity in the in the future are more due to the medial and column. Uh, medial and lateral column instead of the uh, physical injuries due to the, the transfixion of the K-wires. And uh, when do you decide to open the fracture? Um, after how many trials of closed reduction or what is your cut point to uh, stop closing reduction and to start to open on the fracture? Of course, when you are not be able to reduce the fracture or to uh, or achieve a good reduction uh, with a, a proper AP and lateral view. Other, uh, sometimes very young uh, doctors uh, perform the, sometimes the, the surgery during the night on the first uh, hours of the evening. And then after that, in the morning, when you are going to, to take a new x-ray, we, uh, uh, we visualize that the fracture is not well reduced. But if you are on the on the OR, you have to to choose to when you when you open because uh, when uh, after several uh, attempts there is no a good uh, a good reduction a, a good uh, reduction of the, of the of the fracture and really uh, quite instability. So you needed to have uh, something more. Mm -hmm. Some literature recommended that uh, if uh, the reduction is uh, in good alignment. And uh, uh, as you said uh, by uh, uh, junior doctor that uh, making this surgery at night and after three or four days, the X-ray um, showed that, that uh, the reduction is not good and the fracture need revision, okay? They recommend not to do the revision uh, until uh, after 24 or 48 hours because it may increase the incidence of mycetes scans and the stiffness in the elbow. Uh, do you agree with that or we will revise? Absolutely. Because, yeah, I agree. As, as I told you, 
the the open induction it, it happens or immediately during the the first surgery because you are uh, you are conscious or you are uh, you are uh, you are not be able to achieve a, a good reduction otherwise the morning after the the first reduction because young doctors didn't, didn't uh, where I didn't had a, a good job. I mean, it was an unstable fracture, and then we we take a, an X-ray uh, in the in the morning after the the surgery, and we uh, we realize there is no a good alignment, so we go directly to the to our button. I mean, there is no, we are not being, we, usually we don't take a, a new x-ray after four, five, or six days. So when the fracture is well reduced and the x-ray after the, the surgery uh, demonstrates a good reduction, we take the, the next x-ray after two weeks when we remove the cast and remove the, the key wires. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you prefer to remove the wires after three weeks only and the start range of motion? Or uh, you give the child uh, more longer duration? No, I guess it's very important to, to try to restore the range of motion as, as much as possible, as early as possible. So that's the reason why uh, I, I, for my personal experience, from my point of view, is it's enough three weeks. So after two weeks, you can remove the X, the the K wires, the the, the cast, the K wires, and then invite the child to move on your on your own on his own or own because no physiotherapy because otherwise it's it's worse. And there is no cooperation uh, from the from the child, and uh, in this way you are pretty sure uh, even if uh, very few degrees, but the, the child start. Uh, to try to recover his uh, range of motion of the elbow. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Antonio. Thank See you. Thank you. you too. And now with uh, Professor Dr. Uh, Amr Atif Abdel Gawad, uh, Professor of Pediatric Orthopedic Surgery and Limb Reconstruction at um, my Monades Medical Center, Brooklyn, in New York, USA. Welcome, Dr. Amr. Welcome, Dr. Ahmed. Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Me too. Uh, Supracondral fracture humerus uh, involve more than half of all pediatric elbow fractures, trauma. And the extension type is more common than flexion. It uh, resembles around 95% of the supracondral fracture humans. Uh, we'll talk about the severely displaced supracondral fracture humerus that uh, may uh, result in uh, pocket handle sign in the brachialis muscle with severe ecchymosis in the anterolateral aspect of the elbow that usually uh, associated with uh, absent pulse uh, that uh, may come to the junior uh, resident in uh, ER uh, with uh, uh, swelling in elbow and uh, ecchymosis in the elbow and the absent uh, pulse in the precalis and radial and radial artery uh, with the pink and the good capillary filling sign. Uh, first, to start with how to evaluate this type of the fracture um, and uh, how to uh, deal with it in the ER? So great question. So um, we get very frequently supracondylar fractures. As you said, a uh, significant part of them are displaced and some of them are severely displaced uh, with uh, uh, the proximal part of the bone uh, buttoning through the brachialis and uh, compressing on the vessel. Uh, in the vast majority of the cases that uh, uh, we get with the absent pulse, as you said, it's a, um, we call it warm pink hand. Uh, the warm pink hand is, uh, in most cases, a spasm of the artery due to the severe compression uh, with good anastomosis that most of these kids has. Uh, of course, these are these uh, one are uh, one that you need to uh, take the child uh, as 
soon as possible. So uh, when we get this, of course, uh, part of the exam is if you can get pulse, also you have to uh, assess the, um, the the nerve exam. Sometimes I will tell you it's extremely hard. Sometimes the kid is in agony, screaming. Uh, however, if you can uh, try to assess the ulnar and the radial, uh, that would be great. If not, uh, that's, uh, you should still bring the patient as soon as possible to the um, uh, surgery. Uh, so we will announce this as emergency so we don't have to wait for eight hours if the patient ate. Uh, so for, for, for a regular supracondylar, we, 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 we always wait for eight hours. Uh, and in most cases, if they come late, we do them the next day. However, for these patients, uh, we don't wait for the eight hours. We don't wait for next day. We take them immediately because we want to relieve the spasm uh, on the artery as soon as we can. So we announced emergency so that the anesthesia uh, do not have to stick to the eight hours rule. Uh, we take them, we do the same uh, maneuver for the close reduction. So we use in, in our institute or in most North America, we use the C-arm as the table. Uh, so with uh, some traction and manipulation, we push the piece back uh, in, uh, in place. I would say in most cases it comes easily. Um, uh, and then we uh, we pin the fracture uh, based on the stability. So if it's stable with three lateral pins, that's great. Uh, if if we get lateral and each time we get lateral, um, there is rotational element. Uh, so you get the columns. If the columns are good, but when you get the full lateral, it 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 displaces rotation. So we add a medial pin uh, through a, a, a mini incision. And then at that time, for me, uh, I don't leave the OR. I stay with these kids, uh, um, and I uh, I get uh, either the um, uh, bear hugger or uh, the uh, heat lamp, and we put them on their hands, uh, usually in about 5 to 10 minutes. And then also, in, in most cases, I will put the pulse oximeter. Uh, once you put the pulse oximeter, uh, in the vast majority of the cases, you will get number but they will need there will not be a pulse wave so it's a weak pulse so that's why they have pink hand it's not cold uh you will be, get pink hand uh but it will you won't get pulse wave you will usually get a number that is less than the other side so if the other side is 98 you'll get like 92 93 and there is no pulse wave with time uh you put uh, you use the heat lamp you put the you put the uh, um, bear hugger you put the patient hand under the warm blanket, and then five to ten minutes, you start getting the pulse wave. Agree. Mm -hmm, and uh, so you start with the closed reduction maneuver, like uh, supracondral fracture humerus. And if there is anatomical reduction, you go with the fixation by uh, three lateral wires, or if there is uh, some sort of rotational instability, you uh, add the medial key wire to add uh, this uh, to the stability. Uh, what about it after the closed reduction, the pulse is still uh, not filled. Uh, you uh, don't feel the brachialis, uh, brachial artery after the closed reduction. Do you go with the open uh, incision uh, to explore the uh, brachial uh, artery? So, uh, so long the hand is pink, uh, I will wait. I, I will give the so if the the hand is there is no pulse but it's pink and warm. I will definitely wait. Uh, I don't feel rushed to go to uh, 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 open the patient, explore. Uh, we only explore if the hand is cold. So if the hand is cold and then we reduce it, uh, and it's still uh, not uh, uh, getting warm. In this case, we will go anterior and explore the arc. Uh, that if it was not open from the start. So if it's a closed fracture with a pink uh, worm, I wait after reduction. If it's a pink, if it's, I'm sorry, if it's cold, uh, in this case, I do the reduction. If I don't get it after the reduction uh, and waiting for a few minutes, I will explore anteriorly. Mm. Yes, because of uh, uh, if there is uh, anatomical reduction on the uh, image intensifier and uh, both ends of the bone proximal and the distal end is anatomically reduced and there is no gap 
uh, in the fracture uh, at the fracture site. So there is no possibility of uh, kinking of the brachial artery inside the fracture site. So the most common cause is the just a spasm in the artery. And this spasm will get better after surgery by warming the arm as you described. Uh, but in case, uh, if there is not anatomical reduction and there is gaping at the fracture site, um, we may fear from the kinking of the brachial artery inside the fracture. In this case, you will wait also, uh, even if the uh, uh, hand is pink, or you go with exploration of the uh, on the brachial artery. No, if there is anterior gapping, uh, I will not accept it. I will. Uh, we will just start and do an open as as any supraconductor. If you don't get it uh, like near perfect, you definitely need to open. But especially if you have, if you're worried about the vessel and you and you can you can get it to close anteriorly, um, uh, and the hand is still, uh, you have no pulse. I would not put the pins even. Uh, I will uh, oh, uh, put a tourniquet. Uh, I'm sorry, I will not put a tourniquet. I will just uh, uh, prep uh, up uh, anterior, um, uh, do an anterior approach, and then find the uh, the artery. If it's inside the fracture, we'll get it out and put uh, pins. If I open, I will put pins medially and laterally because it becomes much more unstable. And in this case, also, if I open, one of the things that you can do to relieve the spasm of the artery is to put just some lidocaine around it, and that will get the spasm off. Mm -hmm. uh, but your point is uh, well valid. If you can get the anterior, if you cannot get the reduction, especially if there is anterior gapping, uh, you should not put the pins. You should just open, look for the uh, artery, get perfect reduction, get the artery out of the fracture, and use two pins medially and one pin laterally. Mm -hmm. is any rule for angiography or uh, arter arteriography for the in cases of pale hand uh, before surgery? So if I get a, a cold pale hand, we don't do angiography. We just uh, open directly. We do, uh, if it's if it's an open fracture, we will extend the incision, look for the artery. If it's not open fracture, we will try to do a closed reduction and wait for a few minutes. If it doesn't come, we will open anteriorly. Uh, we don't treat angio for kids. Uh, we know that the injury is at the level of the artery uh, and uh, we don't want to waste time. So we would like to get the closed reduction, put the pins. If we can do that, if we can get it, that's perfect. If we can't get it, we will open. Uh, if we get perfect closed reduction, put the pins. Five minutes later, still cold, we'll just open anteriorly. Uh, your preferred approach, uh, if you decide to explore or uh, make it uh, open reduction, is anterior or anterolateral, direct anterior approach uh, uh, on the cubital fossa or more anterolateral approach like that used for cubital virus correction? No, I, I, we use, um, I, use, I use directly anterior. We use an S-shaped incision. So it's a transverse over the uh, elbow crease. And then medially, uh, proximally we go medially, distally we go laterally. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can see the artery better. So it's in like an S-shaped incision. Uh, the transverse part uh, is over the crease of the elbow. And then medially, we uh, proximally we go medially, distally we go laterally. That will allow you to see the artery better and uh, to, to have... Uh, uh, the reduction anteriorly, and then you can always put the pins percutaneous. Mm -hmm. There is any correlation between uh, open reduction and uh, post-operative uh, 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 stiffness? Uh, do you get uh, any cases of a stiff elbow because of open technique, like my scans or uh, something like that? So with open technique, um, I don't get uh, my scans, but definitely you get more stiffness in kids. So if I do an open reduction, I will refer the kid to physical therapy after three to four weeks. So basically I don't send my patient to physical therapy ever, except for two reasons. If they are older than eight years old and they're not really getting, or if I do open reduction. So either open reduction for vessel, open reduction because I fail to get close reduction, or sometimes also with my flexion type, uh, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, 
try to do closed reduction. I sometimes go directly to open reduction if it's a flexion type. I know that some people will try to get closed reduction, but I will still go uh, a open reduction for flexion type. And in these cases, I will send them to physical therapy. And the so if, it, yes. if it's for or failure of reduction, I will I will send the patient for open for physical therapy. And in severely displaced uh, fracture that not associated with any vascular insult, and you decide to make it for open reduction, your preferred approach is also anterior or posterior approach. There is no uh, any vascular insult with it. No, I, I go posterior. I find it easier uh, because I can find the nerve. Easy, because if I, if I'm worried about severe displacement that I cannot get reduced, I want to add medial and lateral. And if I'd like to do that, I'd like to see the nerve. So I'll go posterior. Um, I will put the patient lateral. I'll go posterior. Um, find the nerve, reduce uh, the the fracture under vision, and put uh, one medial, one lateral, and then I will add another lateral. So I will end two lateral and uh, one medial pin. Okay. Um, as uh, I know that some some of some people argue that it's better to go anterior because that's where posteriorly is possibly you have an intact periosteum, so you don't want to take the intact periosteum. And it makes sense, but uh, just posterior approach is much easier for the elbow. Uh, you avoid all the vessels and nerves, and you can see the median nerve, uh, the ulnar nerve directly. So you can, when you put your medial pin, you're, you're safe from capturing the nerve. Do you go with the uh, tricipital sparing technique or um, trans, the triceps muscle? You, you can go with either. So we um, uh, traditionally we used to, to go through the triceps and uh, raise it uh, medial and laterally. But because now in the adults literature, there is more and more the, uh, the par they call it the paracipital approach. So uh, you, you can go with either, uh, uh, either medial and lateral, uh, uh, or you can just go midline and then uh, raise both sides of the triceps tendon. Thank you, Dr. Amr. You are welcome. Hello, everybody. Uh, now, uh, our talk uh, with uh, Professor Federico Canavis, uh, Head of Pediatric Orthopedic Department of Lille University Hospital and Faculty of Medicine in France, and the past secretary of the EPOS Committee. Uh, you are welcome, Federico. Good morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, the third part of our talk is about the uh, rare and the difficult metaphysial diaphysial fracture of the humerus. Uh, the identification of this type of the fracture is the between uh, the junction of the uh, diaphysis and the metaphysis and the upper border of the olecranian fossa. This type of fracture is unstable and it is totally different from the ordinary supracondylar fracture humerus. Uh, what do you thinking about this type of fracture, Pedrico? So, uh, first of all, thank you very much for um, for your kind invitation to to participate to this podcast for Epos, and also thanks for selecting such an uh, such an interesting topic, because these fractures, as you said, are not supracondylar fractures and are not humeral shaft fractures. Actually, they are at the junction between the shaft and the metaphysial area. And because of the anatomical uh, location of the fracture, which is more proximal than a regular supracondylar fracture and more distal than a regular shaft fracture, this fracture can be actually are highly unstable. So um, the instability is the main characteristic of these fractures. So the idea uh, that is behind the surgical treatment for this injury is to try to control the instabilities in full or at least partially. And in my mind, what is most important in children is to control the rotational instability. Because as we all know, rotational instability will not remodel. Whereas uh, remodeling may occur at least to some extent if you have a uh, residual displacement on the sagittal plane. So really the goal of treatment for these patients that in my experience tend to be younger than patients that have regular humeral shaft fractures is really 
to try to control the transverse plane, so to try to control the rotational instability, and then the residual sagittal plane deformity, inflection or extension, because of the young age of the patient, may remodel. So the idea behind the treatment is really this crucial point to me. So mm. try to control the rotational instability without harming too much the patient. So try to find a minimal invasive technique. So you find that uh, this type of fracture, we can we cannot handle it like the ordinary supracondylar fracture humerus by doing the classic method of closed reduction and uh, two or three lateral uh, pins fixation or crossing wire that aiming the far cortex like the classic supracondylar fracture. What uh, if the junior staff doing this type of fixation in this unstable fracture, what uh, do you expect the result? So uh, for me, uh, the idea is that uh, really if you try to manage a, a distal metaphysial fracture like this as a regular supracondylar, you may have trouble. You may have trouble because uh, for this reason, for two reasons in my mind. One is because of the instability, but the second one is because the fracture line is not a transverse line. In most of the, uh, of the cases, it is an oblique pattern of fractures. So trying to control an oblique pattern, an oblique fracture line with two or three wires uh, may be difficult. And the second point, because the fracture line is more proximal, when you send the first or the second wire trying to reach the opposite cortex, then you have a cortex that is quite thick and the entry point uh, of your wires is very distant for the, to the end point where the tip of the nail should aim. So very often, the tip of the nail cannot perforate the opposite cortex and slide inside. So you may have trouble to reach an optimal fixation and struggle many minutes to try to achieve so. And finally, you will end up with opening the uh, fracture site to try to stabilize with your hand as to be able to uh, fix it with wires. So in my opinion, the idea of using alternative techniques is really uh, double to control the rotational uh, instabilities, as I said before, and secondly, to try to treat these fractures by closed reduction and fixation without opening the fracture site. Mm -hmm. So the ordinary or classic method of uh, management of the supracondylar fracture humerus is not appropriate at all in the management of this unstable type of fracture. Um, I have read the, your precious paper and literature about the uh, method of fixation of this type of fracture. Uh, can you give us uh, an idea about your technique in fixing this uh, type of fracture? Yes, um, this is, I think, an important point because uh, the, 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 the idea of using elastic nails take advantage of the anatomy of the humerus. So if you understand the transverse plane anatomy of the humerus, you can understand why elastic nails can stabilize this fracture, at least on the transverse plane. Because if you think about of the humerus, and uh, you think about uh, its uh, um, transverse uh, um, section, you see that the shape of the humerus change as soon as you move from proximal to distal. So initially, the uh, humerus is more uh, round shape, then it tends to become more triangular shaped. But then uh, when you are in the condylar region, at this point, it has a shape like an eight with the two clearly identified column, the medial one and the lateral one. So the idea of the elastic nail is not to provide a stability uh, on uh, an absolute stability, 
the idea of the elastic nailing going from proximal to distally is to match uh, the anatomy of the humerus and to reach with the tip of each nail the medial and the lateral column. So by reaching the two column, of course, with the more, more lateral nail, you'll be entering the medial column, and with the more, more medial nail, you'll be entering, let's say, the lateral column, with the tip of this nail into each hole of the eight-shaped distal humerus, you can, uh, you can stabilize the fracture on the transverse plane. And this was my main goal. Then, of course, you can have, because you, you don't have to forget, as I said before, that most of these fractures have oblique or spheroid fracture lines. So you cannot control, of course, the flexion extension, but this flexion extension will remodel to some extent, work at least uh, significantly, I think, because uh, most of the elbow motion is in the flexion extension plane range of movement. So most of remodeling occurs in the main axis of movement of a joint. So because of this, at the elbow joint, at this region, you can expect to have some remodeling. And then at the other point, because these fractures are a little bit more proximal than the regular supracondylar fracture, if you have a hypertrophic callus or some residual flexion or extension, this residual deformity should not impinge with the elbow motion, which is more because the elbow joint is a little more distal than a regular supracondylar. So it is already more proximal. So full flexion is full extension. Once the fracture is healed, despite the fact that you may have some residual extension or some residual flexion deformity is almost in all cases very close to normal. Very good, Federico. Um, another option uh, uh, was written by the uh, um, another literatures, uh, like uh, they using uh, multiple Q wire fixation, uh, and they concluded that if we do the ordinary method of crossing wire, uh, it will be mechanically unstable, and they will end uh, by uh, complete failure and displacement of the fracture. So they use multiple key wires, like three lateral and one medial or more wires uh, that aiming the intramedullary canal and not reaching the far cortex. Uh, do you think uh, this type of method, comparing to the proximal fixation by an NCNL, I think you will be away from the soft tissue around the elbow and the incidence of stiffness or post-operative stiffness will be uh, little uh, than using multiple key wires. On the other hand, uh, their method is more simpler and um, and the easier technique than proximal Nancy Neal. So if we compare the two methods, uh, what do you think about uh, the advantage and the disadvantage? I think that uh... Each method has its own advantages and disadvantages, of course, and each method should be used um, according to the surgeon preference. Because if you feel more comfortable, of course, with key wires, uh, you shouldn't use the other technique. And at the same time, if you feel more comfortable with the elastic uh, nailing, uh, you shouldn't use the uh, percutaneous key wire fixation. Um, I think that the philosophy behind the two treatment is slightly different because with the Nancy nail, really the goal is to control the transverse plane uh, potential instability. Uh, I mean, you don't want to have a rotational deformity after surgery. Whereas when you use uh, key wires, because of the way you put these key wires, the key wires would act like a single rod into the medullary canal. So by definition, because you cannot reach the opposite corted, cortex as described in this technique, there is still rotational instability after surgery. 
So probably with this technique, you have a better control on the transverse uh, alignment, but you need to do a very good cast, post-operative cast, to make sure that there is no uh, rotational problem after the surgical procedure. Because uh, uh, you can align the fragment, but because the entry point of the nail, of the key wire, is not related to the opposite cortex by the wire itself, because the wire is going into the medullary canal, of course, there is a, some instability on the transverse plane that you have to control somewhere else, somehow else. It means by using probably a well-molded cast. Mm -hmm. So this is just my concern. Then because these fractures tend to occur in young patients, these are high energy trauma. In my, in my experience, most of these fractures are motor vehicle accident or fall from a high. So, uh, and because they tend to occur in younger patients, uh, I think whatever technique, if you can control the transverse plane deformity, can provide a, a good functional outcome two or three years down the road. Excellent, Federico. So to summarize, um, the metaphyseal diaphyseal fracture is of the distal humerus is an um, unstable fracture and uh, it usually occurs at a higher level than the ordinary supracondral fracture humerus. Uh, we cannot manage it like the classic supracondral fracture humerus because the crossing wire or multiple key wire fixation may result in loss of stability of the fracture and displacement of the fracture post-operative and a lot of complication. So we should give a more attention about this type of fracture. We have a lot of surgical intervention. Uh, first one uh, is by using the proximal Nancy nail from the lateral entry point at deltoid insertion, aiming the medial and lateral column of the distal humerus to give a rotational stability. They may be uh, some sort of flexion and extension sagittal plane instability, but it will remodel well and causing a little complication. Uh, another method of fixation is by using a multiple intramedullary key wires from distal fixation. Uh, and in elder children, we may use uh, a plate fixation like um, many um, plates or metacarpal plate fixation to give a rotational stability. Do you agree with that, Federico? Yes, I think we can, uh, we may, uh, let's say, uh, have a different indication according to the age of the patient. I agree with your point. I take your point where in younger patient, probably surgeons should choose between elastic nailing or key wire fixation, multiple key wire fixation, according to his preference and what he feels more comfortable with. However, when you are dealing with older the patient, when you have reduced remodeling capacity because of the age, uh, probably a, an open approach and screw and plate fixation uh, can guarantee uh, a, a good reduction and a good rotational control. So these patients that are older with reduced remodeling capacity probably should be treated like, uh, let's say, uh, adults, uh, adults-wide. And uh, this way, uh, you, 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 you avoid uh, the occurrence of deformity that, will be, uh, that won't remodel over time. So, uh, yes, I would say younger patients, whatever technique you prefer is fine between elastic nailing and multiple uh, key wire fixation. Whereas when you tend to have older children, I would say older than age 11, 12, or 13, uh, in this age group, probably a small approach to reduce the fracture as close as to anatomical reduction is possible and fixation with plate and screw uh, is uh, fine because this is still an extra articular fracture. So if you put a plate, uh, and you avoid to destroy too much the periosteum, you can provide uh, a good stability in both planes and a good functional outcome. Because this patient, uh, compared to the younger one, needs to move quickly. Thanks, Vidriku, so much for, for precious paper. Bye-bye. 
Thank you very much again. Thank you very much. It was nice to see you and to discuss uh, with you. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Thank you. Hello, everybody. And now to the fourth part of uh, our podcast uh, with Professor Dr. Gamal Hosni, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Benha University in Egypt and the past president of the Egyptian Society. Um, uh, we will talk about uh, the stiffness uh, that occur after prolonged immobilization supracondral fracture humerus. As we know, that uh, method of uh, treatment and the timing from the surgery or timing of intervention in the cases of supracondral fracture humerus is uh, largely affecting the outcome uh, of the range of motion of the elbow. Uh, Dr. Kamel, what do you expect uh, from the uh, predisposing factor that causing the stiffness of elbow in children with supracondral fracture humerus? It is related mainly to the time of intervention or type of the fracture or method of reduction and uh, surgical intervention. Thanks, Professor Ahmed, for the invitation. Um, I think perhaps it's uh, all of them. Yeah. But... Can we gather from the literature the exact uh, predictor of the elbow stiffness after treatment of subracondral fracture? Yes, we can we can have an idea, but we are not sure. But uh, uh, from my experience, the um, the period uh, the 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 lag between the or the the time between the injury <clears throat> and the treatment can be a factor. Because I remember a long time ago, it usually it was a neglected fracture. We see the patients after some time of the uh, of the injury, and we had the the incidence of uh, elbow stiffness. But now you know most of the patients are treated within just few hours, and I I think now this incidence is is less. But also, I think the most important factor, it's not the time of the, the time in the cast or the immobilization time. It's rather the, the injury itself, the, you know, the, uh, the type of injury. The, the more severe injury, the more the incidence of uh, the, the development of stiffness. That means Gartland type 3 or more displacement of the fracture, the extension type we are going to have more stiffness uh, uh, of the elbow. And uh, I, I think also the, the, the stiffness is different. It's going to be just mild stiffness or severe stiffness of, of, the, uh, of the elbow. And when we say stiffness, we have to talk about, uh, is it after a few months, after one year or two years? <clears throat> but because sometimes we think that we have a real stiffness after two or three months, but within one year, it resolves completely. Exactly. Um, uh, when do you uh, decide to uh, make a physiotherapy or uh, to take a step that the stiffness in the kids is uh, prolonged or uh, uh, at which time uh, do you end the passive range of motion or uh, range of motion by child? and give the opportunity to the physiotherapy? Um, most of our patients, they don't prefer to do uh, physiotherapy primarily. But in many centers, in so the trauma centers, they prefer to do immediately uh, physiotherapy, professional physiotherapy. <clears throat> However, I, I do believe with I think also in the literature, the recent literature, many people think perhaps in the beginning, it looks like physiotherapy is very important. But if you wait for one year and you compare the, the cases who, who had physiotherapy and the cases who didn't have physiotherapy, it's almost the same result at the end. Anyhow, uh, in my patients, most of them, they don't prefer primary physiotherapy. And when you see them, when I see them after one and a half months after removal of the cast, I decide after that which which one of them deserves to have physiotherapy and which one it's okay for him. So after after one and a half months, if I still have uh, uh, real stiffness or 
the uh, uh, if I don't see uh, regaining of most of the of the range of motion, I start to have the physiotherapy after one and a half month. And I think in perhaps more than 50% of the patients, they don't need physiotherapy or, or at, uh, after one and a half months. And I would like to see also your experience, Ahmed, because your experience is more recent than me uh, in that field. Uh, usually uh, we recommend uh, active range of motion uh, by the child himself, because uh, any passive range of motion by physiotherapist or uh, by parents uh, even will result in mitosis ossificans. So we usually encourage the child to do active range of motion and avoid any passive range of motion. And I, get, I agree with the, your talk that um, uh, we don't recommend the physiotherapy at all, especially in the first six months, to avoid the passive range and mitosis ossificans. Um, Usually, the younger children uh, below age of three years, they gain range of motion rapidly after uh, removal of K-wires. And uh, usually, the elder child, because of fear and the pain, uh, who gain range of motion, uh, but after a few months, above age of six years or seven years. So usually, the trouble is uh, between age of uh, six or seven years and elder. Um, do you have... Uh, any recommendation to start with uh, medication like endomethazine for prevention of mycitis ossificans, or it is not um, uh, a routine, especially if uh, there is a stiffness, prolonged stiffness, uh, more than six months, and uh, the child do not gain range of motion. Uh, do you starting medication like endomethazine or like uh, some form like that? Uh, I think nowadays we 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 don't uh, we I, I don't practice that. But um, before that, you know, just especially I remember with the cases which had the repeated manipulations, mm -hmm. neglected cases, and we and the the, the closed reduction was by by the junior, uh, the junior resident, and in his report that he did repeated closed manipulations, and we were expecting to have myocytes ossificans with repeated manipulations and neglected fractures. At the time, we were using endomethacin. But nowadays, I don't think, I don't see cases with that severe stiffness. So I don't do the, uh, we, we don't practice that nowadays. So the risk factor or the clear risk factor that caused stiffness in the elbow after supracondral fracture humerus uh, let's say uh, delayed intervention when uh, the surgery uh, delayed for more than eight or ten hours, so the edema is massive. Uh, second factor is the uh, repeated manipulation or too long manipulation. Um, and the third uh, risk factor that uh, if we use a lot of key wires, that uh, tethering is a soft tissue and the skin. And the fourth one is prolonged immobilization. Uh, do you recommend uh, uh, mobilization more than uh, three weeks in supracondral fracture humerus, or three weeks is enough for that type of fracture? Um, it depends upon the, the degree of union, the stability of the reduction. Mm. Because sometimes, you know, many cases are done by the junior surgeon, and we see the patients after perhaps a few days. And we think that the, the, the fixation is not that stable. Mm -hmm. You know, the wires are coming from one side and perhaps they are not enough to hold the fracture. So we wait longer. Mm -hmm. But if you have a rigid fixation, three weeks are usually enough. Especially if you see union uh, after three weeks in the x-rays or something. Mm -hmm. That's why we stay for perhaps one or two weeks more if we see unstable instability from the from the uh, from the uh, the sort of fixation but mm -hmm. also we have to gather all these things together because if you have severe injury gradient type 3 and severe displacement and perhaps not a perfect reduction and the instability of the reduction repeated manipulations so mm -hmm. all this deserves to have more fix uh, longer time in the fixation 
That's why it's not one factor which can be the, the reason behind the, 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 the elbow stiffness after this. But also any, the, the instability of reduction, perhaps it's one of the causes of the development of Hubertus varus afterwards. So you don't have one problem, you have, because in my experience, I have Hubertus varus and also have stiffness in the same elbow. You have some sort of deformity, flexion or hyperextension uh, deformity or uh, 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 flexion deformity, so you have less uh, range of motion because of the bony deformity also. That's why we wanted to correct, we correct both of them together. Mm -hmm. Dr. Gamel has uh, a great um, experience in management of uh, tapledged uh, stiff elbow uh, after many kinds of trauma, uh, especially in the elder children and the adolescents. Um, how do you manage this uh, type of stiffness, Dr. Gamal? With this type of stiffness, if you call it stiffness after one year or, or more, so we usually wait to say the patient has stiffness. I usually wait more than one year. Sometimes I wait longer because I see improvement of the uh, range of motion, even without physiotherapy for such a long time. And if I see real stiffness at the, at you know after such a time, I will see also if you have a bony element or not. Sometimes you have a bony element, and you have to deal with the bony element. If I deal with the bony element, and I have a deformity also, I usually put the patient in an external fixator. Why? Because I want to have immediate movement of the of the elbow. And remember that if you, if whatever the procedure you do, you do. Uh, soft tissue release or you do you remove the, the bony element or you correct the bony deformity and you fix the elbow for some time um, perhaps two weeks three weeks four weeks or five weeks perhaps you add more to the stiffness you don't know but if I put the patient in an external fixator afterwards I can allow immediate movement of the elbow, and I can regain the elbow movement directly uh, after the operation. So if I have cubitus varus, and I decided to correct the cubitus varus, and I have some sort of a stiffness, and they decided to do some sort of soft tissue dissection, or have any bony element at the time, if you do external fixator and you put external fixator immediately afterwards, you can allow mobilization. If you put it in the proper place and you kept the axis of the external fixator the same as the axis of the elbow, you can allow immediate uh, uh, movement of the of the elbow and uh, treat the, the, the elbow stiffness at the same time of treatment of the bony or the soft tissue problem. Mm -hmm. uh, may someone have a question with uh, what is the advantage of the hinged uh, elbow external fixator over uh, hinged uh, elbow crease. Uh, we can dissect the soft tissue and uh, excise the pony element or treat the uh, corrected the pony deformity. Then uh, start from day one elbow range of motion by hinged elbow crease. What is the advantage of the external fixator over the hinged elbow crease? The uh, uh, advantage of uh, external fixator that you can uh, you have better fixation of the fracture at the same time. So we are not afraid of the losing the fixation with using the the the, the frame, the, 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 the whatever you use afterwards. Mm. The second thing, sometimes I don't use a complete frame. Sometimes if you correct cubitus varus deformity and you have some sort of bony element or deformity, flexion deformity of the elbow, when we correct both of them, we don't fix the forearm. We left the forearm free, you have a stable, so you can move immediately without extension of the frame to the uh, to the forearm. This is another advantage. You don't have to fix the forearm. It's enough to fix, to correct the, the cubitus varus and the flexion element. And at the same time, you leave the forearm so the patient can immediately, even in adolescence. Mm. Sometimes you, you decide to treat an ad adolescent patient and you left the patient for some time. So it's easy for him to move and to do everything, everyday life at the time. Mm -hmm. 
Do you prefer to use a uniplanar external fixator or circular uh, frame? Both of them are valid. But remember that the uniplanar uh, uh, external fixator is more difficult to apply. Why? Mm. Because you have to, you know, the axis of the frame, there's an axis of the frame, and there is the axis of the elbow. And you have to, they have to have both of them at the same axis. This is difficult. It's not that easy. And it's not forgiving. If you don't do it at the, the in the operating theater, <clears throat> you are going to have more stress at your half pins. And probably you have problems afterwards and early loosening. But the circular frame is forgiving because you can change the axis after the operation. So after the operation, you can change the axis of the frame to co to coincide with the uh, to have the same axis with the with the with the elbow after the operation. And this is the real difference. People think that the circular frame is more difficult, but this is not true. The uniplanar frame is more difficult because you have to have exact coincidence of the frame of the axis of the frame and the elbow. Uh, at the operating theater, otherwise you are going to have troubles. I think another advantage of circular frame that uh, we can use K-wire, which is forgiving uh, to deal with the vices in growing a child. Uh, in, compar in comparison to the uniplanar fixator, you have to use the chances, uh, chains and uh, it may be very difficult with uh, the anatomy of the vices in growing a child. Uh, so you can uh, go with the distal correction with circular frame better than the uniplanar fixator also. Oh, this is true also. Sometimes you have a, a very small bone. You can also, mm. it's, it's difficult to put the half pins or perhaps you are going to have, because you have to mobilize immediately. Mm. It's not going to be, if you want to make it a strong fixation, you need more half pins and you have thin bones. So it's more difficult to apply also. It's the opposite because many people think it's easier to use the the uniplanar plane than to use the uh, circular frame. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Dr. Gamal, for your uh, precious discussion. Welcome. Uh, you are welcome, Dr. Gamal. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the chance to uh, uh, to talk about this important topic. Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you, Dr. Gamal. You're welcome. Attached to this podcast, you'll find a poll to let us know what are the topics you'd like us to cover in the next episodes of the EPOS podcast. All the best. Thank you. Bye bye.